Ready, Dave? And welcome to Don't Let's Start, a podcast about They Might Be Giants. I'm Dave Fox. I'm Jordan Cooper. And we did it. <laughs> um, so this is a super crazy, exciting episode for, for you folks at home. Yes. All you fucks. So <laughs> that went south quick. So for this episode, All you fucking ingrates. <laughs> um, me and Dave have been trying to track down people who, who have collaborated with, with uh, They Might Be Giants or people from They Might Be Giants. And we've got someone very interesting for this show. We've secured Julie Kantner. Yes. We talked to her over Google Hangouts. Who's Julie Kantner, Dave? Julie Kantner was in a band with Mr. John Flansburg called The Turtlenecks. Oh, my God. Uh, Way in, back. In college. College. Uh, before They Might Be Giants. Yeah, basically before. They've said that the band started in 81 and the first show was 82 or whatever, right? And this is from 81. So a little bit of backstory. A, a while back, Julie put an EP on Bandcamp of the Turtlenecks. All around me, all I see is a world of poverty. Six songs, and she didn't really promote it or like, but fans found it anyway. Went under the radar. Yeah, and someone brought it to my attention recently, and I was kind of blown away by it um, on a lot of levels. But I was just blown away that this isn't like <laughs> the top headline news. <laughs> I mean, is anything happening out there? Well, why not? <laughs> why just not this? Yeah. So. I was like, oh my God, there's like six songs that John Flansburg made before they yeah, might be giants. Pro- proto TMBG. This is like the primordial ooze of uh, TMBG. Pre MBG. Yeah. So these songs are great where you're going to hear plenty of, of clips from them if you're unfamiliar, but they are on Bandcamp. So if you want to do a little homework first before listening to the interview, so you know these songs, she put them up at uraniumdaughters.bandcamp.com. So. Uranium, like the <laughs> deadly, <laughs> like the thing, radiation and daughters. But so check out the Turtlenecks EP, and we talk all about those early days with John Flansburg. They were a couple back in the day in college. So in 1981, Flansburg and and Julie made the song. I'm use I use one of them's last name and one of them's first name. <laughs> um, Flansburg and Julie made this EP together, or made a bunch of songs, and she assembled this EP. And we talked to her all about it. And we there for for they might be Giants fans listening. There's there's some great crazy uh, stuff about early proto they might be Giants songs that never were. And I really am excited to. I was excited uh, if, to hear it. He was <laughs> uh, guys. And I'm really excited for all of you to hear it because this is what we're here for. We're here to find out this crazy, obscure, fun stuff about the band. And Julie herself is hilarious and interesting. And she is a fantastic songwriter. And we talk about all her, her other stuff too, that she's done over the years. And I'm really excited to play that stuff for you. Here is our interview with Julie Kempner. Enjoy. So, the, 
thank you so much for doing this with us. I listened to so much of your music the past like month that I'm just like just became a fan of it really. Oh, thank you. Um, because like some I was like singing singing your songs like walking down the street kind of thing. Oh, that's great. So we'll start with just the general um, you know, the intro stuff, which is what's like your history with with music and and writing your own music and writing your own songs and lyrics? Well, I just always loved music and loved listening to it as a kid. You know, I always made up silly little songs to myself in my head, like one does. And then, I don't know, I just started, I started hanging out with a lot of other people who played music, like John Flansburg, and just was sort of involved in the music scene, and just gradually started writing songs. But it was a long time till I really felt I completed one, you know? Mm. A lot of them were just sort of in my head. I think it really made a difference when I got a hold of my first recording device, mm-hmm. which was, I think about 1990, 91? I had a friend, Jim Vincent, and he was going on tour with the Screaming Trees as a roadie. And he's like, I have this Tascam 4-track. I'm going to leave this with your roommate, Jimmy. (laughs) Jimmy used it a little bit, and I took it over. And I was like, this thing is fantastic. And then he came and took it back, and I was sad. And then I bought another one, a used one from a friend of mine. And that's really what did it, because then it's like it's like you have a sketchboard. Yeah, yeah. You got the tool. You can listen back and go, that was really good, or that was horrible, <laughs> you know. And that's how you, how I kind of learned to sing was just listening back and going, oh God, oh that's good, you know. And you can pinpoint it that way, more or less. I noticed that um, when I play my stuff for someone else is when I really hear what's good or bad, because like when I'm not yeah. the only person in the room, I, I'm suddenly hyper aware of any problem that there might be in the thing I just made. Yeah, well, I sort of figured over the years no one was really listening. So, <laughs> you know, it kind of helps because you can do whatever you want. And then I'm always shocked when someone actually does listen. It's like, oh, you oh, you listen to that. Yeah. Like some of that stuff that's on the Song of Day stuff, I'm like, oh my God, that was, I just threw it <laughs> up there and I'm like not thinking anyone's really going to listen to it, but. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they do. Is there any bands or musical influences that you were maybe at first trying to emulate or capture the the spirit of, but like before kind of moving on to your own sort of style? Um, well, very heavily influenced by 60s stuff, you know, 60s mm. girl group stuff, psychedelic 60s stuff. Then later on, I got into more of the, the punk, punk stuff, new wave. Later years, Guided by Voices was a big influence. Yeah. They yeah. have so many albums, though. <laughs> they do. It's a little frightening. I, in yeah. fact, actually got overwhelmed at a certain point. But <laughs> yeah, the first few records are fantastic. If you don't know them, start with B Thousand and Alien Lanes. Those are the two I'd recommend. What were some of the punk bands that you got into? Well, sort of more of the arty side, like um, Wire and XTC. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. I'm a big XTC fan, so I was, that, that was exciting. <laughs> yeah, and then. I remember after I broke up with John Flansburg, I, I, I went out of my way to go like Echo and the Bunnymen because he told me I shouldn't like them because they sucked. <laughs> oh my so God. So the first thing I did was like, I'm going to like Echo and the Bunnymen because he's really cute too. So I was like, that's, that's good. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. I noticed... After a breakup, I, I I can't listen to any music that me and the person I was with listened to. So I have to get into new bands. Yeah, you have to move. You have to move on. Definitely. Yeah. Well, that's why we're going, <laughs> doing the opposite, and taking you all the way back <laughs> there, to, like dragging you back. I, to I, it. I honestly, I don't know how you found me. I mean, you found that <laughs> stuff. I just sort of put it up there a few years ago, and 
nobody really noticed. So. Well, I, I'm actually surprised I missed it because I only just found it. And the thing is, when we <laughs> I, we started this podcast um, a few months ago, and so I get like occasional emails from people. Like basically, what happened was someone emailed it to me because we're kind of like. Oh. I guess we're kind of like the people to to tell about breaking news, you know, in the, the world of the band. Jordan has his ways. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to ask, um, in terms of songwriting, like, what are some of the earliest, like, I guess you said, like, it was a while till you finished a song, but like, what's a what's an early song that you finished that was like really a complete thing that you were, that, I don't know, either proud of or maybe felt like you're now a songwriter, you know, like that first few steps. I think it's the song Airplane, which I wrote really early on, but Fertile Version played it, but then Twig recorded it. It was our first single on Harriet. And then, uh, and it was inspired by the uh, Aloha Airlines incident where the stewardess got sucked out of the top of the airplane. Oh my God. I don't know about that. I didn't know that happened. Yes. Well, and as I was thinking about it, I was like, let me look up this incident. And lo and behold, it happened on that very day, <laughs> April, tw- April 28th, <laughs> 1988. It's getting a take Wait, so, so what exactly happened? This plane was flying. I've actually been on this plane afterwards, but it's a, a little island hopper in Hawaii. And it was an old plane. And the, the stress like peeled off the roof of the plane, basically. And they managed to land it. And everyone was still basically strapped in their seats, but it looked like they were on a double-decker bus. There was oh. no top of the plane. Jeez. But one poor stewardess got sucked out, and they never did find her. Oh, my so, God. <laughs> That song was sort of inspired by that, you know, the room is spinning out of control and, you know, that kind of stuff. So that was the first one I kind of felt like I finished. And then, like I say, shortly after that, I got a hold of the recorder. And then I started finishing a lot more songs, like Lucky Day was probably one another early one. that I love that song. <laughs> yeah, you like that one? That one really stood out, yeah. That one's about Oliver North. That's oh, wow. This will be your lucky day. And he's <laughs> in the news now recently, too. He got kicked out of the NRA. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I, I saw that. Oh, my God. Yeah. What, what little I know about Ollie North. <laughs> well, this, this kind of brings up a question. So you're writing these songs that are kind of about 
incidents <laughs> that happened. Yeah. Is this, was this sort of your first try at like, I want to write songs that are kind of different than, than other things. I can very quickly just say like the first few songs I wrote were about writing songs. Cause I was trying to be all like ironic, you know? And, oh. but then it took me kind of a few songs to be like, no, I'll just write about my feelings about this thing. Or There's lots of ways to go about it. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I think Sometimes you get too picky. It's just like, no, that one actually really did suck, but it's done now. And then I can move on. Yeah. You have to at least finish the bad song. Or then sometimes you can come back and cannibalize them for other things. I do that all the time. It's like that had a, re- that had a really good part in it, but I didn't like the rest of the song. So we will take that out and mm-hmm. reuse it. Pete Townsend said, never, never waste a riff. Always use it more than once. <laughs> so I always keep that in mind too. <laughs> so I guess, uh, do you think that could segue us to the the turtlenecks? Is that sort of the first time you had a band? Well, no, I was in some bands in high school. It was one called Moose mm, okay. <laughs> and another one called Narnia. Uh-huh. And then I was another one called Julie and the Grubs. Oh, wow. I like that title. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had a friend who was very good at naming bands. And I think the, our most famous accomplishment was a, a instrumental version of the Bumblebee tuna song. <laughs> Is are there recordings of these things anywhere? Oh, there there may be. There may be. Well, <laughs> I will I think I'm subscribed to your band camp, so I'll get a notification if you if, uh, if I can find them. But yeah, the Turtlenecks was the one um that I formed with John um in college with our friends Chris Lawrence on um we called it banjo guitar because he had this weird guitar sort of sound like a banjo and then uh Carl Heckscher on drums who was crazy. I mean in a good way. But he could he could make a, a, a snare and a hi-hat sound like a whole drum kit. It was kind of amazing. Mm. Oh, wow. He was just so manic. <laughs> and we would practice, we practiced in our dorm room. Yeah. And we recorded it. We recorded in our dorm room. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that. I mean, I have so many questions about the... Tur- I, have, I have questions from the point of view of like a, a fan of They Might Be Giants. And then I have a question just from the point of view of hearing it, you know, listening to the EP on its own terms, you know. So you met, you met John Flansburg, you met him in college was, or was there some special circumstance? I, when I went to college at Antioch and which is in Yellow Springs, Ohio, my roommate and everyone I met there was from Lincoln Sudbury. And my roommate was Lisa and Lisa was really good friends with John. And she's like, I have this friend. He sends me tapes of these weird little songs he records oh my god and i was of course immediately interested <laughs> yeah. and then uh he showed up like uh, i think the next semester he started late he had a delayed start and then he started at antioch too and he arrived so he would record his own songs he would record with us he he liked to do weird cover songs <laughs> there was a version of i'm so glad to be living in the usa that he had me sing i don't know where that went <laughs> oh wow well, I'm so glad I'm living in the USA. Yes, I'm so glad I'm living in the USA. He tried to get me to sing 24 Hours from Tulsa, and I couldn't sing it because it's really hard to sing. You mean while I was driving home, and I'm not the same anymore. Oh, I was only 24 hours from Tulsa. And he got very frustrated and called me the girl with the one note range, which I was like, <laughs> I will carry with me to my grave. Uh-huh. But <laughs> oh, God, yeah, I've, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, it, one tends to dwell on the negatives. And one time I remember it was very weird where I was walking with John through Brooklyn. And he turns and he looks at me and he says, 
sing like Elvis. I'm like, what? Right now, just sing like Elvis Presley. I'm like, well, that's weird. I don't think I can do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Why do you want me to do that? And you, you never found out or? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what he was, wonder if he was planning something years down the line. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. Did you have any other first impressions of John Flansburg, uh, either connected to the music or just his personality in general? Precocious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 we could see that. We're, we're getting a lot of that. Yeah, very <laughs> precocious. My um, my parents were quite amused by him. <laughs> he had this song, Mr. and Mrs. Enormous. I don't know. Did that make it into a record? No, no. No. And so my dad would always say, like, so how is Mr. Enormous doing? You know. And <laughs> wow. Do you, do you have any memory of like, what was that song about or what it was like? <sighs> Mr. and Mrs. Enormous. I don't know. It's, he just recorded so many songs back then. I can't even remember all of them, but that was one that stuck in my dad's head. <laughs> o- only to be outdone by a later boyfriend who had a song called Crotch on Fire. <laughs> and that kind of obliterated Mr. Enormous right there. That's a great <laughs> title, though. I'll, those are both great titles. <laughs> so the Turtlenecks, who like initiated forming this band? Um, John always wanted to be in a band. He wanted me to be in a band. He wanted me to play bass, even though I was more of a guitar player. He had this vision. I don't know. He had more than one band when we were in school. He also had a band called The Blackouts, which were more serious. Yeah, we've, right. we've actually heard about that, but we know nothing really about it. But that was his friend, Dan Spock, who also went to Lincoln Sudbury with both Johns, and Shell White, who's gone on to be a filmmaker. And so they, they played this in the band called The Blackouts, and this guy, Dan, who played bass. And in fact, the song Airplane, I will, I will fess up, the opening riff to that song, I kind of stole from Dan Spock because he was sitting around our dorm room and he was playing with this riff. I'm like, I like that. I'm going to remember that. But probably like 10 years ago, 10 years later that I, <laughs> I used it, but you know, I remembered it. Uh-huh. So, so you, he, it seems like he maybe initiated it and got, gathered you all together? Yeah. Exactly. It was always, it was always he was the driving force because he wrote all the songs pretty much. He is a driving force. We've noticed in all the, like he is a force we, to be reckoned with. Yes. Yeah, because we you know we both we go through all these interviews with them and we've seen them the band live a lot and we you know we're very aware of the two the personalities of both Johns and it's it's always <laughs> like very amusing to me because they are this like yin and yang you know yes <laughs> we've always said like we both feel those two sides of ourselves you know like. Like mm-hmm. I, so there are some days where I'm like, I feel like John, like John Flansburg's kind of energy and like marketing myself. And then I'd say most days I feel more like John Linnell or I'm kind of alone in my room making music and kind of don't really know what to do with it or how to get it out there. Or, you know, it's just kind of that weird yeah. solitary vibe. He's more the quiet genius. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Did they ever release, did he ever release the song he did about Captain Crunch? Uh, I don't think so. No, no, for sure, no. <laughs> oh. uh, that was a great song. I don't think I ever had a version of it, though. They, they, they did have a song later called The Captain. Yeah, they had a song about <laughs> a captain, but... Probably it, not hmm. Mr. Crunch. So wait, so this was a John Flansburg song? No, this is a John Linnell song oh. about, about <laughs> well, Captain Crunch. It. Oh, wow. Maybe, yeah, maybe he turned it into this. It's something like, you're not a captain either. You're, uh, I, can, I can't really remember, but it was very sweet. <laughs> That's so funny. It might actually be a good chance it is the same song. Yeah, I wonder if it is. <laughs> oh, his song was like, you're not a man, you're not a captain either. Something like that. Anyway, <laughs> next time you talk to John Lennon, ask him about the Captain Crunch song. See if he remembers it. <laughs> That'll be like our first question if we ever, if we ever interview them. 
Before we get to the EP, the other question I had is, is you had mentioned that you guys recorded a lot of, a lot of stuff. Like, what, what's the status of that? Like, what else is there out there for the turtlenecks? I'm not sure. That we, he did this one CD, and the concept was it was a live CD from our dorm room. It was called Got Liver If You Want It, which <laughs> okay. was a playoff of Rolling Stones record called Got Live If You Want It. And I don't know why, but Got Liver If You Want It. That's funny, because he does that a lot. There's a lot of They Might Be Giant songs that twist one or two words from like a classic, you know, classic rock song, and then kind of yeah. puts like a weird, disturbing spin on it. So that actually <laughs> ties right into the, what he does a lot. So, and that had this, most of the stuff that I put on the EP. It also, I think, had a version we did of Sweet Home Alabama, which was Sweet Home Ohio, as John sang it. And I know I had that somewhere, but I, you know, I lost a lot of these cassettes over the years. And so I don't know. The thing is, he sent a lot of these cassettes out around to people as friends of his. So there may be stuff around there that people have. I don't know. You'll have to look into that, Jordan. Um, One source you might want to check, though, for... um, other things is his friend Russell. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> who was the one who came up with that version of It's Cold Outside because I had lost it. Oh, wow. He got in touch with me a couple years ago through Facebook and he had these photos of me and John in Florida that I had never seen. And he had a version of that song. I was like, oh my gosh, you have that. I'm so happy. I thought I would never hear it again. <laughs> it had been oh, wow. gone for like 20 years. I had lost it. Wow, but he has, he has recordings that he did with both of the Johns, I think, in high school. Plus, when we went to Florida, we went there because John was recording with Russell in this um, huge studio they had at the University of Miami. And it was basically during spring break and Russell had free reign over it. And I've never heard those recordings. I don't know what they did, but wow. he has stuff. So let's let's talk about this EP on Bandcamp and and I was curious if was that EP kind of were those six songs meant to go together that way or did you just kind of compile that because that's that's what you had That's what I had the the live ones were the only ones that were sort of meant to go together Mm okay I think it has a cool cuz after listening to it so many times in the past few weeks like it, it I think it works really well as an EP like I really like the <laughs> flow of it you know Yeah I agree I've been listening to it nonstop Yeah I mean they were all recorded within the same time frame basically so Yeah yeah it sounds just like a kind of just like a fun <laughs> like afternoon or something Were those like quick to do do you remember it being a lot of takes or is that like were those live or are those overdubs Those were live one take things the live wow. ones were The other ones were definitely had over overdubs on them the ones that he did on this they're all they're all on the real to real but the ones the other ones were yeah had overdubs yeah i just i love the sound of it and it, it's funny because you were talking about like the song a day thing i i, I love the lo-fi you know when i'm a fan of <laughs> when i'm a fan of someone else and i hear their their lo-fi stuff and to me it's just like you know it's it's like a it's like a gift because it's just so interesting to see the yeah it's like it's a sketch pad it's a little more intimate a little more revealing Let's see what we can, what you can remember about all these songs. So I, I, I have to say, I really love track one, which is Julie's tune. Until a vision, a mission, the stormtroopers read. The children cheer on, the neutron bombs on which I assume is yeah. about you, unless it's some obscure Julia that was in the news. No, that's me. That was pretty funny, actually. I came back from class one day, and I came into our dorm room, and John was there with a big smile on his face, and he said, I wrote a song for you. 
I said, okay. Wow. So he played it. I was like, I love it. <laughs> he said, of course you do. I tuned every string on the guitar to D. I was like, oh, so you know my note then. It's D. <laughs> and then he said, can you play water faucet? And so I was like, went and played my hands under the water faucet. So I'm, I'm on water faucet, which for some reason he wanted on. I don't know why. Uh-huh. I have to listen to that again. I didn't notice that. I do love the, um, the instrumentation in it. Like one thing that we noticed was like, there's this super interesting keyboard playing happening. I think it's like really fast keyboards. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but it's like it's during the verses and it's just like a very jittery, jittery kind of like. Uh, keyboard part was that like who was that who who played that i think that was all him on that song oh wow really he did it all himself oh wow that's interesting um what what's your interpretation of the lyrics for that song oh i think it was just sort of about things happening of the day you know the neutron bombs on parade and mm. that kind of thing mm. It's kind of a beautiful song in a way. I mean, it, it's it's saying all these like kind of scary things, but yeah. but then you know, all singing your song. Yeah. scary time i mean you know reagan had just been elected and that kind of stuff and who knew <laughs> yeah. what was going to happen it's almost as scary as today i, I was gonna ask <laughs> <laughs> scarier than now <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I really love that song and i love i also love the um there's like this kind of a discordant you know musical climb that happens like in, in between the verses you yeah. know what i mean which kind of i guess kind of is like that scariness in a way like creeping up yeah it's not entirely happy yeah but it sort of has a happy sound but not entirely <laughs> and then track two was the cover of it's cold outside when the world used to be sunny and jokes used to be funny <laughs> but now you're gone and everything's turned all around when my world used to be warm And it never was a storm But now you're gone And everything's turned all around And now it's cold outside, cold outside. And the rain is pouring down And the leaves are turning brown Can you see? But now it's cold outside and I was curious, like, who's who picked that cover to do? Was that was that also John? That was actually me, because that was actually from a compilation. I had a, a Pebbles compilation of 60s garage bands. Mm. And that was originally done by a band called The Choir from Cleveland. Yeah, I looked up the original. It's like a great, it's a great song. Yeah. Well, my world used to be sunny. Jokes used to be funny, but now you're gone and everything's turned all around. Well, my world used to be warm and the never. 
and I really liked it. I play all the time. So John just decided we, we would do a d- duet on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I love the, 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 um, the ha 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 that that he does yeah. when and there's like the line about jokes being funny and you know it's it's a funny thing because something me and Dave have talked about a lot is that in a lot of their they might be giants early songs Flansburg does these like giant laughs like he's always yeah. laughing <laughs> and that's like feels like the first ever laugh on one of his recordings he was practicing yeah yeah <laughs> Do you know if he did that laugh just off the cuff, or was that something that was uh, discussed? I think it was off the cuff. I don't remember discussing it. Um, That's all I wanted to know. Yeah. (laughs) And now it's cold outside, and it's all because of you, because there's nothing I can do to make you love me. And then um, I track three is very interesting to me in a world without food. Yeah. <laughs> Do you recall about this song or what are your uh, thoughts or opinions on I remember it? very specifically that John was stealing from the intro to American Girl oh, really? and he, huh. he stated as much <laughs> Um, as to the lyrical content, not quite sure. He was just <laughs> maybe a little food obsessed. I don't know. <laughs> to me, it, it kind of seems like a parody. It's kind of like a peace on earth kind of song. Cause like the idea I think is that if, if there was a world without food, like we'd have nothing to like fight over. But I think there's yeah. like a joke there, which is that we'd all be dead if there was no food. Kind of. Yeah. In this place you need no protest song. It does feel like his kind of writing, that kind of circular logic or self-canceling logic is in a lot of They Might Be Giant songs by both Johns, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I really love the lyrics to this one. <laughs> is this before there was all those like charity songs and stuff? I think so. It's a couple years earlier, I think. See, ahead of his time. So he was yeah. setting the precedent. Yeah. Yeah. Your own world, the 
the other thing I noticed about like his vocals, they they sound very like Elvis Costello kind of style. Was, oh, huge, huge influence at that time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I could hear it. Like, and it's funny because you could hear. Then a few years later, he kind of has his own. He really does his own vocal style, and he kind of grows into his own, you know, his mm-hmm. own performer. But when I listen to this, it t- actually took me several listens because I was like, "Who does this remind me of?" And then it, it kind of hit me. Was there any conversations about Elvis Costello as an influence or anything like that? And, oh, he loved Elvis Costello. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was so so into those first two records. Huge influence. And then I, I, one more thing about this song, I, I just, I love the ending. Like, I love the crazy, crazy jamming ending. Like, was, was that spontaneous? Oh, yeah. <laughs> sort of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really it's pretty infectious. It really sounds fun. Uh, you know, it reminds me of like when you know me and Dave like we've we'll, we would hang out with friends of ours and just play music in someone's basement and just sometimes we would record and, and go crazy. And uh, uh, listening to this EP really like made me very nostalgic. Obviously, it must make you nostalgic to hear it too. <laughs> yeah, but it, it kind of it kind of transcends like you you know to anyone really because it, it just kind of sounds like being in college and you know just jamming on songs. You know, yeah, we're just having fun. <laughs> And then, oh, so the, I think this is my favorite track, actually, is track four is Where Are where are All the People in the World? All right. One, two, has really jumped out at me the idea of like he's singing about being a cowboy who can't find a home yeah what what do you think was going on there on a lyrical level as someone who knew knew him at the time i don't really know i just remember him saying like he made the joke about the oven range i was like okay (laughs) (laughs) that's my favorite part (laughs) i the oven range i'm like okay But 
but I was for some reason just trying to remember another song. Did they ever do anything with the song called Revolution While I'm Hot? Did that ever? <laughs> no, 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 that never surfaced. Oh, oh that was a good one. <laughs> oh, man, do you remember anything about it? No, it was just, you know, he just would set up he, his reel-to-reel and just pump out all these songs, and some of them ended up being turtleneck songs or maybe with the blackouts, or mm. then they might be giants. But that was an early one that I really liked, and I don't think anything ever happened of it oh wow it. so curious it's my revolution revolution while i'm hot uh-huh. <laughs> and and that was deliberately making fun of a lot of the radicals who went to antioch who were all like <laughs> you know revolution now and he was like yeah whatever uh-huh. revolution while i'm hot track that one down <laughs> yeah i'll try <laughs> was there any way that you could maybe could you guess how much he was producing at this time i mean was he doing like 10 20 little of these uh music you know snippets a day or like full songs I mean, it seems like he was doing them all the time. Yeah, instead of going to class, um, he was he was doing a lot. I don't, I couldn't really put a number on the output. Yeah, but a lot. <laughs> and then there's more. There's the line in the the song. Now I'm getting hungry. I don't know if that was like a weird thematic thing with the world without food, or <laughs> I don't know if that ever came up. Well, it makes me think of another song that he did when he was playing with the Blackouts, mm. and he showed up and. It was only him and like maybe Shell were there and everyone else didn't show up. So they did this song called Where Is Everybody? <laughs> and it's just sort of this plaintive <laughs> drone song. Where is everybody? Uh, but that- I, I, <laughs> I don't know where that recording went either, but I did hear that too. That actually reminds me, do you know the camper van Beethoven song, Where the Hell is Bill? Yeah. One of the band members was late to practice. <laughs> so they, yeah. they made up a song called Where the Hell is Bill, and it's on, yeah, it it's, made it onto an album. <laughs> it's like really, uh, it's great. It's a common theme of the band. <laughs> yeah. It can happen. Well, I'm curious, what, was there any specific differences in, like, so when he'd have a song for the blackouts, was there like a reason it was for the blackouts as opposed to for the turtlenecks? Mm, maybe the blackouts were the more serious band. Oh, interesting. You know, because they actually, I they actually played a couple shows in Dayton. I think maybe mm-hmm. we only played in dorm, you know, in dorm parties, kind of. That's an, yeah. I'm always interested. You, like something we talk, me and Dave talk about a lot. A lot of the f- people that were fans of musically have like, you know, they'll have solo albums or like separate bands. And I'm always just like, what makes this song for that band, and what makes this song for the other band? You know. Um, it's, I don't know. I'm dealing with that myself right now because I have two <laughs> bands and I yeah, have to yeah. figure out when I write a song, which band it's better for. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. It's funny. I think about that with Camper Van Beethoven and Cracker because it's just, it's the same songwriter. Sometimes you just play it with both bands and then just see which one feels better. Yeah. Yeah. So are these all songs written by John Flansburg or did you guys collaborate on them or other people in the band? Pretty much John wrote all of them. The only one that I kind of had a hand in was uh, I slept with this thing all the way back from Baltimore. <laughs> Okay. Well, if you can even call that really a song. Because I was working at Antioch in the video um, department, and there's this sort of strange guy. And they had just recently moved all a whole lot of video equipment from the Baltimore campus to Yellow Springs. Well, that's a long way to drive. And huh. he mm. was very proud that he'd moved some piece of massive, you know, 
1979 technology, um, all the way to Yellow Springs. And he said, I slept with this thing all the way back from Baltimore. <laughs> and I thought that was so funny that I went back to our dorm room and I told John about it and we sat down and started playing this song and he just wow. basically says that over and over again. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> that yeah. is a really great line to repeat. <laughs> Jordan was speculating it was about a guitar. Yeah, I was just, just imagining. Just like lugging your gear around. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was some large, lumpy piece of video equipment, you know. <laughs> That's better. State-of-the-art, late 70s. Is there anything else you remember about the recording of that? Is that? Do you think that's like the first take, really? Or only take? I think they were, they were all just pretty much one takes. So. <laughs> <laughs> we practiced a little bit and then just blast through it. Wow, I mean, I'm surprised there's not more like mistakes, and so it's actually, I mean, after listening to it all week, it's it's, it's like a <laughs> it's a solid EP. I mean, it's you know the performance, the arrangements are interesting. The you know it all it all works. I, I yeah, it, somehow it did. And so this now the weird thing is, um, track six, Indiana wants me, is actually the only one that we have heard for years now because I don't know if you know about this. I had seen it, yeah, in in a wiki. Like Flansburg released this to the fans in 2001, which was kind of a shock because they they'd been pretty withholding about their any early recordings. Like they didn't really go before 1985 or so, you know, and in, in giving fans stuff that yeah, they've well, done. If he has that, then he should have a lot of the other stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was I, all I, done at the same time. Mm -hmm. I think about that a, a lot <laughs> about all the different stuff that that he. They must there have. was a break in though. I don't know if he lost a lot of stuff after we broke up. He was living in like a rooming house in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. and mm. it got broken into, and they stole all his gear. Um, but I don't know if they stole tapes. So, well, Indiana wants me. It's just funny because, like that one, the second it plays, I'm like, yeah, I know this really well because yeah, I, yeah. you know, I put it on my. I have like a rare "They Might Be Giant" song playlist on my iPod, and that that's in there, you know. <laughs> and I've I've always loved that song. Um, let me just give context to people listening. So, Indiana wants me is a cover of a song by R. Dean Taylor. Indiana wants me. Lord, I can't go back there 
And so I assume that like uh, John picked that song. Yeah, he he had a, he liked to do cheesy hit songs like covers of them. Uh-huh. I I think around the same time he was also wanted to do that song, um, "Reach Out in the Darkness." I don't know if you know it. The chorus is, "I think it's so groovy now. The people are finally getting together." It's a terrible song, but he really, although it's got a great bass part, it, the oh, okay. bass intro is, is awesome. But he wanted to do it partly because the singer, it was, you know, some folk duo from the 60s, and the singer was coming to Antioch to play. Mm-hmm. And, and that sort of got John, John riled. And so he wanted to do a, a cheesy cover of this cheesy song, but I don't think he ever did. That's so funny. But I, I knew it. That, that kind of brings up a thing we talk about a lot, which is like the, the Flansburg's like his irony kind of battling the sincerity. Yeah. And I think Dave knows what I'm talking about too. Um, Sure. Because like a lot of their early work is very funny, but they're like, we're funny, but don't you dare laugh at us. Yeah. You have a lot of wit in your lyrics, but you've also got a lot of like really, you know, very sad songs, very like sincere (laughs) songs too, you know? Yeah. Did this topic of kind of like the sarcastic songs or the being ironic and kind of artsy and kind of Uh making fun of things, was this something that like he he talked about a lot? I'll give you an example. When we first got to, when he first got to Antioch and we would walk around Yellow Springs and um, he had his black leather jacket and his black, he was very stunning, black hair, black fingernails polish. And then we were given name tags that said, hello, you know, hello, my name is. Yeah. And he put, he put death on his. <laughs> and then oh we walked all around town with his hello, my name is death <laughs> sticker on his jacket. And we're like, really? Okay. That's how you want to <laughs> approach it. And then another time we were hitchhiking in Yellow Springs, which you really shouldn't do. Okay. Um, and we got picked up by this guy in a pickup truck, this old guy in Ohio in a pickup truck. And we realized as we're driving along that he's actually he keeps sniffing this rag. He's oh sniffing God. paint thinner oh. as he's driving this truck. Okay. And then John just turns to him at one point. And he's like, isn't that sort of like eating death? Like, John, we're supposed to get out of this truck. Wow. <laughs> we're going to get out of here alive. Yikes. That's very interesting to me. The the idea of just like the world is kind of your audience for your own personal little art show or your own little movie. Oh, I also, yes, I have also, I have a, I have a scrapbook. I have a Muddy Waters mask he made around the same time. It's, we we collect these old life magazines and he cut out a picture of Muddy Waters, sort of life-size <laughs> black and white, and made a face mask out of it and put a little hole in it so he could put a cigarette in there and then he'd walk around town with that on. <laughs> <laughs> that is That is amazing. These are, I have to say, just that as an, this is amazing stuff <laughs> for the show. You really paint a picture. You, yeah, you're really coming through here. <laughs> um, <laughs> and oh, by the way, Indiana wants me. I, I love the very end. Is that you at the very end? Uh, yes, so, I as, am the policeman. <laughs> if just once more I could see you at home and our little baby. I mean it. <laughs> <laughs>
I've got to say that always like makes me smile. It's it's very <laughs> it's very like adorable and funny, and it's just it, the the kind of like the fun of that recording like just really comes through, you know. <laughs> um, it's it's also espe- especially in context with they might be giants later work because they're they're pretty obsessive and polished, you know, in the studio, and mm-hmm. they they really don't leave a lot to chance. It seems they kind of like do they demo it extensively at home and then they recreate it in the studio and et cetera. So, so to hear something so loose and kind of unrehearsed and, and kind of wild is just like, it's, it's really, like I said, it's like, it's very exciting for, for fans. And it's, <laughs> it's also, it's like heartwarming. I don't know. It's- well, that's good. So take us from after the, the turtleneck stuff. Is there any like particular in, like timeline thing we should know about that transitions to your later music? Well, then we broke up and he went on to become famous. And um, <laughs> yeah. then let's huh. see. So he was in New York and I was I stayed in Boston because I, I just like I don't like New York. It's too much for me. Too many people. Yeah, and then so he went to do his stuff, and I did this and that, and sort of got more involved in the music scene in Boston. Mm-hmm. But I didn't get into my first band in Boston until like '88 or '89, like ten years later, when I joined this all-girl band called Fertile Virgin. Yeah, um, I I really love that the Bandcamp stuff that you put up from there. Oh, I love my three sons. That's an awesome song. <laughs> Oh, that's that song was written by Trisha. She was the other guitar player in the band. At the time, she was dating Bob Weston, and I was dating Peter Prescott, who were both in Volcano Sons. And so the song's about Volcano Sons, my three sons, because there's oh, three okay. of them. And her sort of love-hate relationship that she was going through with Bob and everything at the time. A lot of the Fertile Version songs were angry at our boyfriend kind of songs. Um, so b- before we get to your the other music, though, I, I wanted to just like... Do you follow the, the John's career? Do you follow They Might Be Giants? Is there any anything you have to say about about them as a band or any of that stuff? Not really. The last time I saw them was in like 1993, I think. I went to see them play in Boston and um I said, "I well, I want to go talk to John." So I brought a present. I brought Hotcha. And oh. so I, uh, <laughs> Hacha wow. is a little wooden horse. Yeah, yeah. And oh, I know. <laughs> you know Hacha. So I went to the, the security guy at the backstage door and I gave him a note and said, tell John Julius here she has Hacha. So he took the note back and then he came back again. He's like, come with me. Wow. So I find I went back to say hi to John and I was like, here you go. You can have Hacha back. You've been wondering where he is for how many years? <laughs> yeah, that's what it says in the song. That's why I thought he should have it back. Although I do have all the other horses still. Rumba, Eddie Cantor, Prosperity. I have them. I think Rumba's foot is broken. But other than that, yeah, I have the other horses. So there was no, like, you never really, uh, like, tracked, like, the formation of the band or their early 80s shows or anything like that, right? I was still going out with them when They Might Be Giants started. So I saw the first couple shows in in New York. Yeah. Oh, my God. In fact, fact, I have this video that's very sad because I lost it. I made a video for my friend Mick, who was in New York, and he was recording a big 12-inch record. So I made a video for my video class that I was taking about Mick's new record. And I have John and John on the thing because they were living in New York. And I have John saying, Mick's in New York making a record. We're all really jealous because he's making a record. Anyway, 
I had this great video, but I lost it. I can't. I've lost so many things. Do you have any impressions of John Linnell? John Linnell's very sweet. He's he was always very the the sweetie of the two, um, <laughs> more so than John. John was a little more acerbic. Um, John Flansburg, but yeah, by the time we were almost ready to break up, when I would go visit him in New York, I would find out I'd spend more time with John Linnell oh, because he was being nicer. <laughs> wow. but really but very talented you know like he's just he thinks of crazy interesting things yeah like i've i've taken my keyboard apart and retuned to this entire obscure tuning it's like okay yeah <laughs> that yeah. kind of thing um there is one they might be giant song we know that flansburg did say it started as a turtleneck song i was curious if you knew about it um called alienations for the rich oh yeah yeah. yeah. Do you remember any him talking about that song back in the day? Or did you guys ever like rehearse that song or perform it? I think we did play it. Um, and I know he definitely had a, an early reel to reel version of it, too. I think he re- he did release that. We do have this crazy yeah. early demo of that, um, which sort of does remind me of the turtleneck stuff. But I, yeah, I wasn't sure if it was the band or if it was like just himself. We may have played it. Um, I can't say for sure one or the other, but I definitely know it. Mm-hmm. Did he ever, did you ever talk about like what the song's about or any, and just, I don't know anything about it. Like when he presented it to you guys. I think he was, oh, oh wait, I'm not thinking, I'm not starting to think of other songs around the same time. Now I'm getting confused with the baby bird song. That's not, <laughs> it was something, oh, sometimes I feel like a motherless wino. Did anything happen <laughs> to that one? No, no, that never, that never showed up. Okay. Same vintage. All right. <laughs> wrote a lot of songs. Yeah, yeah. Alienation is for the rich. I think he was maybe making fun of some of the other students at Antioch, you know, sort of the spoiled rich kids that were there. But <laughs> That's funny. Antioch was sort of the place where you went if, like, you were kind of a messed up white kid and rich kid and, you know, parents didn't know what to do with you. I mean, not everyone there, but... Yeah, no, I get. I know what you mean. We, me and Dave both went to art school. <laughs> so. Yeah, we did. My mother didn't want me to go to Antioch. She said it looked, when we went there, she was shocked. She's like, it looks like no one cares about anybody there. They all look disheveled and unwashed. I'm like, those are my people. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we could we could wrap up the They Might Be Giants talk, unless there's any other like random <laughs> memories or song titles you remember, because <laughs> it's so amusing to, to hear, to find well, out. Well, I'm about just thinking, starting remembering all these songs. They were some really great ones. And I, mm-hmm. he probably has them locked away somewhere. Yeah, he's been promising for a while that he's going to, quote, go into the vaults and release some stuff. But it's been a he hasn't in a while. He keeps claiming in interviews that he mm-hmm. plans to do it. <laughs> I want to talk about all your other music. And, I, I, you know, I told you a few songs that, that jumped out at me. Yeah. Um, though it's it, I have to say it's like very consistently really great. I mean, like oh, I basically liked everything I heard, um, <laughs> which is kind of crazy when you're I'm checking out a band and there's like 20 releases on Bandcamp. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know if this would make sense chronologically. Do you want to like do you had the other bands you're in like Twig? Is that the next band that comes up in, in sort of the, the timeline? Um, after Fertile Virgin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so two people from Fertile Virgin, me and Trisha, went to form Twig with Niels uh, White on bass. And he still plays bass with me now. And then our friend Ramona on drums. We 
thrown into the unfortunate twee category in the <laughs> mid-90s yeah. of stuff. But we, we put some stuff out on a lot of compilations, a uh, couple singles on Harriet Records. I don't know if you know Harriet no, Records. No, I don't, no. Tim Alborn ran this local label in the 90s, um, and he put out the first Fertile Virgin record, and he put out some Twig stuff. Then the unfortunate thing happened with Twig where two of the members started going out with each other and that kind of made things bad. So Twig broke up. Oh boy. <laughs> and then we sort of I sort of limped on with the drummer for a while. We were Orans and then Balloon Chase Team. Yeah, I was going to ask um, about Balloon Chase Team. <laughs> Balloon Chase Team was a band that really only existed in name only. Um, okay, I have a lot of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we were we recorded under that name, but we never played out under that. And then, um, then that band sort of disintegrated, and then I didn't really know what to do, and I was despondent, and that's when I started listening to a lot of Guided by Voices that made me feel better. And then I, then I had a kid, and so that, you know, shaved off of like 10 years or so doing other things. Yeah, sure. Then about nine years ago, some friends got together for a birthday present, and they gave me a day in a recording studio. Oh my God, that's an amazing present. <laughs> yeah, so that's where I sort of started to record again. Um, and Uranium Daughters, which is the name I was using for my own solo stuff, so I just kept it. So that's what I've been doing. Where did that name come from, Uranium Daughters? It's like a byproduct of the breakdown of radioactive particles. When they break down, what remains is called the Daughters, the Uranium Daughters. Oh, wow. They're rather nasty. <laughs> and unpleasant but i saw the name years ago i was reading something i was like i like that mm -hmm. yeah and that's... it's so hard to find a name now that isn't taken it's like i better just keep it because nobody else has it so yeah me and dave both had long roads of trying to come up with band names because dave has his own punk band and his his band name is dead on a friday uh-huh. Which good. I quite like. And he, you know, we both like Googled the hell out of the names. And then my band name is Troubles Afoot. And I would Google it like every day for months. Like there's no, there's no other Troubles Afoots, you know? It's really hard to come up with a good band name. It is. In the age of Google, it's horrible. You're like, I got it. And they're like, ah, yeah. someone yeah. else, like El Paso has it. Well, because my other band, The Very, which is a terrible name because you can't Google it as we found out. <laughs> but we couldn't figure out a name. And we had a, actually had a contest on Facebook, Name Our Band, mm -hmm. and all kinds of interesting things came up. But finally, um, our friend Clint Conley uh, from Burma said, how about The Very? Mm -hmm. He said, okay. And I looked it up on, on Bandcamp. I was like, I don't think there is one. But then, of course, because it's so hard to look up, I did find later, oh, there is one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. In California, but I think they they broke up because it was two couples. That will never last. And I don't. I think they put out one record like six years ago or something. So mm -hmm. I want the listeners to to hear some of some of these great songs, and and you know you can just share a few thoughts about them. I think okay. I think the first one that like got in my head was "Sunshine Underwater" from the When Pigs <laughs> Fly EP. Yeah.
Um, so what what can you tell us about that song? Because it's got like this great like pop rock like guitar riff coming in, and like to me it sounds like a hit single. You know what I mean? I always think that I write hit singles, and then <laughs> they yeah. never are. Yeah, yeah. That one was a lot of fun. That one was just really kind of like. I used to ride my bike into Boston a lot for work and the water, the sunlight on the Charles River in the morning mm. was sort of what inspired. So originally it was sunshine on the water Oh, okay. and being at the beach. And I was like, but I don't really want to say sunshine's on the water because, you know, that's kind of eh. Yeah. So then it became sunshine underwater and that sort of changed the whole meaning of the song sort of into a, I don't know, somewhat psychedelic mode but yeah well i love it. i love the you know everything feels like you're in a dream or whatever you know that kind of stuff I, I love lyrics that kind of evoke the the dream state and kind of its vague its vagueness you know like it's hard to it's a thing that's hard to put into words but i'm always impressed when a song does put it into words yes i did make a video for that one with old footage from a I think I watched that. (laughs) Yeah. It was this footage, this old industrial movie about the future that they showed us school kids in the 60s Mm. that haunted me. And finally, I found it on YouTube a few years ago. I was so excited. And that's where the the title of the one EP came from, Tomorrow Be As Happy As Music. That came from that film. Oh, wow. They They had chapters in the film. One of the chapters was called, Tomorrow Will Be As Happy As Music. I was like, that's good. That's really funny. I'll I'll post a link to the YouTube video on our like Twitter page. I also really love the 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 day my Buddha fell off the shelf, and um, mainly because the title really <laughs> jumps out. Yeah. I wrote that with Niels, uh, my friend who plays bass. Mm-hmm. And he said, I had this idea for a song. It's about a guy and everything in his life has gone wrong. It's just terrible. <laughs> and he wakes up one day and sees that his Buddha has fallen off the shelf and broken. And that's just the last straw. So, And he was working on some weird chords that he had for it. And so then I played around with a little more and then dualized it and added more stuff. And it became this epic thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's that. I mean, that whole. I, I really love that whole EP. There's a lot of like different kind of production, uh, like because some of the some of the Uranium Daughter stuff is just you and a guitar. Yeah, and then some of it is like this full, you know, big band kind of thing. And then there's like trumpets and stuff. Yeah, my friend Eric um, was playing trumpet on the earlier stuff. Do you just kind of like save up and then kind of hit 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 a recording studio or whatever? Is there or is it much. like these songs need this? You know, like it won't work with just me and a guitar. Well, I usually do it with just me and the guitar, but it never just seems it never really feels like I want more you know so Mm -hmm. I try when yeah when I can save up we we go in the studio I have some songs now I need to go in the studio but then it's like I don't well I'm kind of still broke from the last time I went in the studio so yeah yeah. I'd have to wait a little while (laughs) so the other EP I really loved I love the Oz EP yeah that's one of my favorites I think yeah um the the two songs that I picked that that stood out uh I no one wants to be in love today it was like it's really cool. I love the sound of it too. Just it kind of has like a grungy <laughs> kind of sound.
was interesting because I was the first time I went to Texas to record with um, Salim Narala, who I met in Boston, and he's this big producer in Texas. And I just decided I wanted to do it because I just wanted to just shake things up and go somewhere else and work with new people. But I needed an extra song because I wanted to do four songs, but I wanted to give him six to choose from. So I was fooling around in drop D, as I like to do sometimes. And I had this snippet of a song. I think it's, it's on one of the records. It's called Rummy. It's about 37 seconds long. And I've been trying to make it into a full song for years. So I was fooling around with that. It's like, can I do something with this? No. But I found these other chords that sounded nice. And that's and I just kept playing them. And sometimes you just play things and you just start singing something along with it. And that's how that song happened. It's just as simple as that. <laughs> oh, but the, the lyrics of the song I thought were like very interesting. Is is there any is there any like inspiration for the, the lyrical thing of in the song? No, I think it's just a general sort of malaise one can feel about relationships and mm-hmm. ending and being sad and it wasn't anything specific. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a great title. It kind of reminds me, like, you know, like Morrissey has like great song titles where it's like a full sentence, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not just a little phrase. It's like a, it's a complete idea in the song title. Yeah. Once you get a title like that, then, then the song sort of has to follow it. Yeah. I have another song right now, which has got another really long title. I haven't finished it yet. It's (laughs) called, I painted the sky for you so you could see the clouds. (laughs) Oh, that's great. (laughs) Um, yeah, you've got like half the song right there. It's like written already. <laughs> That's like yeah. a whole, yeah. I, I did. I also liked I Only Love You When I'm Drunk, which I feel like is self-explanatory uh-huh. uh, lyrically. Yeah. I love I love it on a musical level because it, it like it kind of like the other one like that that Oz EP like it has that interesting like the first two songs are kind of like dreamy and then the the, the next two are these kind of like <laughs> coming back down to earth kind of songs does that does that feel like that makes sense sort of although the first song is about people dying sort of you know <laughs> yeah. I guess because it's called all the stars and then track two yeah, is was, light beams was... so then we're we're kind of like in the spacey quality that's and then, true yeah that's true. It was written about, about, you know, David Bowie and Prince dying, yeah, everyone dying that year. Oh, wow. Like, I didn't realize oh, that. Yeah, all the stars are falling from the sky. That's so funny. There's um on the new Pixies album, he has a similar song about that called All the Saints. Ah. And it's it's the same idea. He's saying all the saints that I love, you know, and he's saying, well, he's saying some of them are alive and some of them are dead, but he's like, I'm always trying to be you. He's like, I'm always trying to be like them. My point where more was like, all oh, right, everyone's dying. That means I'm next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's only so long. Uh, one of the songs that uh, Jordan pointed out to me that I liked a lot was Sweetness. 
That's on the Half Magic EP. Can you talk a little bit about that? I've had it stuck in my head like all day. <laughs> yeah, actually. me too. <laughs> That's a funny one. Yeah, I, we almost didn't do that because I, I brought, again, another six songs to Salim. And I couldn't figure out which ones I really wanted to do. But I finally sort of decided on an order. And Salim's like, so I think you kind of put them in the order you want. And I was like, yeah, pretty much. He's like, well, you put sweetness at the end. What about sweetness? I was like, you like sweetness? Yes, I do. <laughs> we ended up recording it and they just, they had a good time with that. That was the only song I've ever recorded I played no guitar on. Oh, really? <laughs> Salim was like, I want you to play it like this. He basically totally rearranged the song for me. Like, play this. Mm. Then he ended up just playing it and then Matt played the bass and I just sang. But it's originally a song I wrote like mm, 15 years ago or something. I have a I have a demo version I did of it, and then I have another demo version, which is the same music as a bed, but my daughter is reciting a song about, I mean, a story about dinosaurs on top of it. I mean, <laughs> and she's 18 now, so this is <laughs> what this song is. Yeah. But that was my favorite song from that recording. I like the way it turned out. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of like Violent Femmes a little. I don't know if that <laughs> means anything to you, but... I love the Violent Femmes. Oh, awesome. Good. But when we were recording it, Celine was like, because we get to that one part of the song, it's like, I remember when we met, da, da, da. he's like, this is like the cheap trick part. I was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> he's like, that's really hard to do. That's surprisingly hard to do. And I was like, you mean it's like, the, like I want you to want me kind of thing happening. I get it. Yeah, sure. Right. <laughs> it's one. That's one of me and Dave's favorite bands. Um, and the, when I was trying, when I was emailing your music to Dave uh, to get him interested, I was like, it reminds me of Violent Femmes. <laughs> so, that seemed to do it. I'm very reward-based. Yeah. <laughs> You also said there's food in it for you. Hmm, that'll work. So the, the last thing I want to talk about uh, specifically on your Bandcamp, the Song a Day compilations. Can you tell a little about how that, how those songs all got recorded, and 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 also if there's anything that stands out from those those? It's four different compilations. It's like basically four full length albums of songs. Yeah, I just went. I was I was bored. I was waiting to finish up. I think our first big band recording. So I was just going through all my old recordings that I could find, and anything that was at least tolerable to listen to, I would throw it up every day for a few months. I guess I was doing it. A lot of them, as you can hear, are demos. One that jumped out to me uh, just yesterday, actually, when I was listening one last time, was uh, "Afraid of the Dark." Magnetic Fields a little bit. Do you listen to them at all? Oh, I used to love the Magnetic Fields when they were in Boston. 
Oh, cool. They were actually on Harriet the same time we were. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. I have a t-shirt. They had a five-year of Harriet record party. And we headlined one night and Magnetic Fields headed the other night. The Twig headed the headline the one night. Oh, that's so and cool. And Magnetic Fields headlined the next night. So yeah, I they were always really fun in concert to see. But then they moved to New York, so I kind of lost track of them. Yeah, we actually saw them. I saw them open for They Might Be Giants in the in the mid-90s. I saw them around the same time open for the Mekons. And I was like, I love this band. They're a mess, but their songs are great. You know, he had, yeah. <laughs> definitely knows how to write a good little catchy pop song. With yeah, strange sure. maudlin lyrics, you know. Exactly. Yeah, Afraid of the Dark. It's something about the the sound of it, like the sound of that guitar line. I think it's a guitar. Um, yeah. It, it reminds me of like some of the '69 Love Song songs. Uh, just like there's a mm-hmm. certain. It's hard to define. There's a certain quality to it that's like very, very melancholy. And- that song. I'm not quite sure where that came from, but that's one I've often considered taking into the studio. I, I almost took it to Texas, but it always ends up sort of getting cut at the last minute, maybe because it's so short. I mean, it's one of those songs, though, where it's like, I feel like the demo, it, it, you know, it, there are some songs where you demo them and you're like, this is clearly, this is like a draft of something that's going to be way bigger, you know, like one mm-hmm. day. But then there are songs like that one where I, I kind of, and I say this about my, some of my own stuff too, where I'm just like, this demo feels really right, you know? It feels like this is the song, and then I'm, I don't know what else to do with it. Yeah, it's true. Sometimes you'll go and try and do a, a new version of it, and you realize you can't really improve it. Like, that has happened to me. Afraid of the Dark has that kind of... I mean, it, it sounds like the title, <laughs> you know? It kind of... <laughs> it really does. Yeah. I re- so that one really jumped out. Is there any... Uh, before we, we finish up, is there any other uh, songs of yours or EPs or anything you want to maybe highlight and... and talk about a little you wanted to talk about chemicals i think well that's another one with a long title yeah it's not love it's chemicals that one was also in my head Well, that's another one where this title just sort of popped in my head and then everything followed that. But that one was sort of also inspired by, um, you know, the XTC song, When You're Near Me, I Have Difficulty. Oh, hell yeah. Same kind of idea, like if you're really enamored and have a crush on someone, it's actually kind of painful to be around them. (laughs) And then when you go away, you feel like, oh, I want to be with them. And then when you're with them, you're like, I'd really actually rather be someplace else. (laughs) I relate to everything you're saying. I, I guess that's really that's really the extent of, of what we wanted to talk about. We've covered a lot. Yeah. Um, I, oh, is, so what are you working on right now? Like, what's what's coming up for you musically or, or whatever you're doing? Well, I have a couple shows coming up next this month and next month. One with the Very, 
which is the all-girl band, and one, one with uh, Uranium Daughters, which is now basically a three-piece. It's me, Niels, and Wally on drums. And I'm hoping to get in the studio with both bands sometime in the next not-too-distant future because we have a lot of songs. Um, with Uranium Daughters, I wrote most of the stuff, but with the very Donna, the bass player, is a really good songwriter, and uh, Leslie, the drummer, has also started writing songs, so we have lots of songs. We have one that we want to record about Steve Jobs because everyone breaks into hysterics when we play it live. (laughs) (laughs) What's that one called? It's called Steve Jobs. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about playing live? What are your thoughts on that? Some people we've talked to um, have a really complicated relationship with playing live. Other people really embrace it. Uh, where do you stand on that? I, I enjoy it just because the, the people in my bands enjoy playing it. It's always kind of like, um, we just had a big show last month, um, the very open for the monochrome set. Do you know the monochrome no, set? No, no. Kind of fantastic British band from, you know, well, starting in the 80s, I guess. To check out some of their records, uh, the monochrome set Strange Boutique and Love Zombies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, we, op- we opened for them. That was really great. So I, I have a sort of a love-hate thing. On the one hand, mm. I'm like, it, you get really nervous. Right. It's a yeah. it's a it's a it's a pain to book the stuff like getting people to get back to you and get the shows. Oh, yeah. Then you yeah, get the totally. show and then it's like pulling teeth to get people to come out to the show. <laughs> Absolutely, you're you're speaking our language. No yeah. one wants to leave their house. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because it's cozy. Right. <laughs> and I have trouble getting myself out, and and um, so there's that. But once you do it, it's really fun, and mm, we have a yeah. good time. And it's always you always get a few more fans every time you play out. You know, people really like it. Because otherwise, how would they hear you? So, mm-hmm. do you write um, every day? Do are you a disciplined writer? Do you make a point to to work on something, or is it just kind of like when the inspiration hits? I'm a completely undisciplined songwriter. <laughs> I, yeah, when the, when I have time and I have to get sort of in the right headset um, to sit down. Usually, the best thing is I, if unless I have an idea already in my mind, I just sort of start playing guitar. And see what happens. Yeah. How's like the music scene where where you are, like where you're playing? Because something we talked about, we interviewed Joshua Freed. I don't know if you know him. No, I don't. So he's like a collaborator with They Might Be Giants in the 80s and um, early part 90s. Of the, the East Village scene with them. Yeah. So we talked to him a lot about the kind of artsy music scene at the time and how things have kind of changed a lot. How is it for where you are? Like how how's like the different scenes over the years and, and how are things now? Well, it's it keeps changing. A lot of the old clubs are have closed but new ones keep popping up and you know there's a couple a bunch of new ones down the street from where i live in somerville that have opened up Mm -hmm. and i'm like yes i should explore those yes i should email and and (laughs) get some shows um Mm -hmm. and both the shows i have coming up are down the street it's pretty easy (laughs) that's nice (laughs) yeah i know i'm pretty lazy so it it's a different scene i mean and it keeps changing boston i think is particularly weird because it's such so many college students here. Yeah. So people yeah. come here and they're like, "Yeah, I'll have a band for you know a couple of years while I'm in school," and then they split, and the band is gone. So there's a huge turnover of bands, and not a lot of them stick around for a long time. And we sort of are weird, you know. I don't really know where even know where our band fits music-wise. With the very Donna's husband Jimmy is a mandolin player, and so he's sort of in more of Americana scene. So sometimes we get sure. put in there, but we're a little bit too rock for that. So mm-hmm. you know, I have the same exact <laughs> issues with the different yeah. bands I've been in. I've never felt like I fit in on a lineup. Yeah, well, I'm learning the hard way. Like it used to be, like if you you know if you booked a show and you were the headliner, you went on last. Yeah, I have found the hard way over the last few years that no, you want to go on in the middle. 
Yeah, yeah. Totally. When I put a bill together, I try and at least get bands that will complement each other. Yeah. You yeah. know, some people will book it so each band is completely different and brings a completely different audience. You know, that's a different way of booking, but it's kind of rotten. Yeah, I feel like there should be like over like differences, but also overlap, you know, like yeah. so that the the people coming in for one band can like very easily enjoy the other bands. If you listen to the song I wrote called Bombay Summer, mm-hmm. which is about one of those kinds of experiences. <laughs> but Bombay Summer, yes, it's one of my more nasty ones, I guess. Oh so. man, I'm excited to hear that now. Let, <laughs> let me see. I'll look for it. That's yeah, that's great. I you know, I, I have a lot of songs that are very uh quite angry. I, I wrote a song like a year ago called I Got the Hint and it was about how no one was showing up to my shows. And yeah. it was yeah. really, it's a really nasty, self-pitying, angry song, but it's also one of my favorites. So I don't exactly. know. Exactly. Ang- anger is a good motivator, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Dave Dave has a punk band, and he's, <laughs> it's like... I'm not angry. It's funny, because Dave, Dave's band has, like, one love song, and I remember he was, like, not sure if they, he should go through, like, finish writing it, because he's like, shouldn't all the songs be, like, angry punk songs? It was really hard to write a nice <laughs> song just for my wife. It, it took a really long time. You know, I tried to look at harder bands, and if they ever wrote a song for a significant other and how they pulled it off without, I don't know. <laughs> Jumping the shark. <laughs> it, it was. It took a lot. It was a lot of uh, wrist wringing. It was a lot of sweating over that one song. <laughs> so wow. Um, I'm. I think that that basically wraps it up. I want to thank you uh, for a few things. I want to thank you for all the amazing uh, insight into the they might be giants related stuff. That the early <laughs> the early songs. I, this stuff is. I mean, it's hard to explain, but I guess like. You know, they're they're one of me and Dave's favorite bands, obviously, because we have a podcast about them. I'm I'm fond of them. Yes. Yeah. So like any any kind of info about these early things that that no one else knows about and or very few people at least know about. And it's just so interesting putting all the the pieces together, you know. Yeah, it's really great. <laughs> yes. So I want to thank you for that, because you definitely came through. That's what I was hoping for, honestly. <laughs> and you came through there. And and then <laughs> I, I want to thank you for all the great uh, music that you've been making over the years. Thank you. Yeah, I just, I really love it. You know, I, I in, instantly kind of click with the songwriting. Like, it, it, you know, I love the short, the two minute long, <laughs> like catchy songs with interesting lyrics. That, that's really all I want. I have a short attention span. Yes, exactly. For me, it's like, I don't know how to do a guitar solo so that's why all my songs are basically two minutes because there's no room for anything else I, i'm not really good at those either like the, the with the very don will write a song and she'll say and this is the part where the guitar solo happens and i panic i'm a rhythm guitar guy you know rhythm guitar singer guy so it's it was if i'm like oh i have to play these this two note riff it could be the most simple riff in the world but it would really stress me out <laughs> so yeah if i'm recording i can do tons of guitar stuff oh, over sure, top sure. Of that's <laughs> yeah. easy but yeah live situations like how do people do that yeah. <laughs> How can they make sure that their fingers will be on the right string at the right time? <laughs> exactly. So, and then lastly, I want to thank you so much for giving us your time tonight and for agreeing to do this. Yes, thank you so much. I'm aware that it's it's kind of a strange request and it's about an old, you know, relationship you had and, you know, and you were very open about it and very willing to talk to us. So I really appreciate that. Well, I, I appreciate your interest. You know, there's so much to listen to out there that when people take the time to listen, I'm, I'm very happy happy about it. Hey, everybody. It's Mr. and Mr. Enormous. <laughs> um, oh, my God. How bad do you want to hear that song? Um, uh, an eight. 
<laughs> Dave, what, what was some of your favorite things in that interview? I, I think you just named it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, man, so interesting. Love her approach to songwriting and lyrics, ideas for songs. I'm always into when people write songs about interesting things, you know, that aren't just the same old thing. Man, hearing all about all those early days brought me back to a place that I wasn't at. <laughs> but it did anyway. Definitely painted a picture of... <laughs> Times of old. Young Flansburg. Yeah. Like, like young Indiana Jones. To be a fly on the wall. But if young Indiana Jones made a mask out of a <laughs> magazine article and walked around town. You've mentioned young Indiana Jones This before. is their second time. Yeah. Um, you really like that. Look, it's a, it's a pop culture phenomenon. We want to give a big thank you to Julie for the interview. It was very enlightening and very fun to do. Yeah, you know, when, when we're just people emailing strangers, we interview you for our podcast, they have a right to say no. <laughs> but I'm incredibly grateful when they say yes, and not only yes, but I'm so, ex I'm so happy about this episode. And I, I hope you guys check out her Bandcamp, uraniumdaughters.bandcamp.com. And, and she's got a lot of different bands she's been in. Uh, that are all over that. It's basically just fun, catchy rock music, two-minute songs. Uh, it's totally what I like, and I've been enjoying it for the past few weeks. As always, if you want to keep up with everything Don't Let's Start podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at Don't Let's Pod. You can email us at don't let's start podcast at gmail.com. We've got some fun emails just recently that I'm excited to talk some, about. We've got some wild emails, show. folks. Wild emails. Someone um, put a leash on these emails. You can listen to us and like and rate. Is it like? Just rate. <laughs> uh, you can, we can't control what you like, but we can <laughs> ask you to rate our show. You can rate and review us on iTunes, and we appreciate it. Five stars uh, or better. Please give us a five-star rating because what am I, doing this for my health? I'm doing this for those beautiful stars. Mm. <laughs> I want to see stars. I'm looking up at the stars, baby, or whatever. That's a half reference to nothing. Anyway, <laughs> um, so please, please do that. And also I want to say on our Twitter, and we'll, be, we'll be posting we all the links to Julie's music and her YouTube and all, all that fun stuff that she talked about. We're going to be directly provide to you. So thanks so much. What's coming up next for the show, Dave? Dave doesn't know because I, I, I haven't talked to him about it. More 80s stuff? I'm going to say it now. I think next we're going to do then the earlier years, the bonus tracks. Okay. I had to think about that. I'm like, didn't we do that? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We're going to do Lincoln and they might be giants again. So we're going to do the bonus tracks on then the earlier years and we're gonna, that were not on miscellaneous T. Exactly. And then we're going to also do the first album and Lincoln again as they are part right. of... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, and then we're going to do a new intro episode yeah. <laughs> and another holiday episode. And we're going to pretend there were two Christmases this year. Exactly. Um, okay. Sounds so, good. So yeah, the next episode we're doing, I assume Lincoln we'll, and <laughs> we're going to do Lincoln and we're going to do miscellaneous tea again. Well, now, this if time you we feel have to, like this is repetitive, just know that it's you and not us. Yeah. Well, I feel like because miscellaneous tea, it's ordered differently on then. So we have to go through, we have to approach yeah. from a new perspective. Yeah. So we have to talk all about those songs again. And basically we're going to be on this loop for the rest of our lives. Yeah. And hopefully you guys will be too. So we're going to do then disc one bonus tracks. I believe we'll be the next one. I don't think we can fit both bonus track discs into a single episode, but we'll see. We'll and see. All right. We'll see. And we'll also talk a bit about that release and, and all that stuff. But that's coming up. I don't want to spoil and beyond, it. I think I know a couple things you got cooking. That's but right. But I won't 
spoil it. There's some very exciting stuff that me and Dave are planning that are, I hope is unexpected. Um, we're going to review Aerosmith albums. <laughs> um, exciting. They might be giant stuff on the horizon. And speaking of horizons, what'd you guys think of game of Thrones? <laughs> Email us. Email us at don't let start podcast at gmail.com. Only three more episodes left. What's going to happen? <laughs> Who's going to take the iron throne? Bye um, everybody. Okay. Bye. <laughs>